Just have to check in a little bit. How many of you are waiting for the bell to ring? Just a few. How many of you wait for the weekend? Vacation. Paycheck. It seems like such a simple and natural thing to do, especially if we're a little uncomfortable. Uh, but it turns out that the state of waiting, unrecognized, uh, I guess I'll say, it makes us uncomfortable. So whenever you're in a state of waiting, you're, you're in a state of uh, there's a slight sense of tension. There's a slight sense of, I call it suspended happiness. You kind of have to wait for the happiness to, be, to come, and we often do it with the end of a meditation. And meditation is a wonderful domain to explore this very common habit of either wanting or waiting or hoping or expecting, uh, different kinds of mental states that when we notice them, they're just part of the human condition. We're looking forward to things because often the object of what we're looking forward is, is for some of us a source of some pleasure. The paycheck, the feeling of letting your body go after I hit the gong, Secret to happiness, end of the sitting. But the weekend, often it's associated with pleasure. But by not attending to, but not noticing with full attention, clearly comprehending the experience of waiting, without noticing it, it, it builds this sense of tension. And it basically colors our experience of the present moment in such a way that it seems like it is not possible for me to be really content and at ease and relieved right now. Something has to happen in order for me to find relief. And within that little period of waiting, there's often, it's not always so obvious, but there's also a little, um, it's part of a little story, part of a little narrative that I am, it's the story is, I'm waiting to feel relieved. And so in the, the central character in that story is what I call the imagined me. The imagined me, the little, the little character in that little story, is dependent for its very existence it's dependent on its very existence to have, it depends on having some place to get to. It depends on a, a conflict that has to be solved. The whole little story of me is about, about, um, about time, solving a problem, finding relief, all very natural human desires to find happiness and relief. It's what binds all of us. 
Dalai Lama says the purpose of life is to be happy. And all beings, he says, want to be happy and free of suffering. So there's this urge to experience some cessation of suffering. But when we're caught up in that little story, that little innocent story, there is within it the belief that that can't happen right this moment. That some condition has to change in order to feel that sense of relief. And within that story, we really are, we are a, we are the, every, the whole world revolves around me in that moment. And then when the whole world revolves around me, then there's the, then there's also the imagined other, like me, who's the one who's ringing the bell then the other becomes the reason why you can't be happy. Someone, something is keeping you from the, your true happiness, from the relief. So we, then we, not only do we build the sense of ourselves, but we build the sense of other. And the other could be a place, a person, a thing that's preventing us. So all of this happens in our mind, and in one, in one way, nothing happened. You're still sitting here. Or you may be in your office, and your mind starts going into waiting for the end of the day. Nothing happened other than you entered into this trance called me. Called me who's, who's going somewhere, and I'm not there yet. And we wonder why our body is often in a state of, of anxiety, often why we're experiencing the mental state of anxiety and worry. Because the, the well-being, that universal wish to be happy, is connected to something that hasn't occurred yet. And so as long as it's connected to something that hasn't occurred yet, there's always the possibility that that thing will not give me the relief that I want. That person, that place. And to the degree there's any kind of uncertainty about whether the future, that imagined future will provide the relief, we're in a state of, of um, anxiety. And often the more anxious, then the more the narrative, that little narrative expands, proliferates into a view of reality that the that the um, the future becomes full of dread, and the likelihood that things won't turn out, especially when the anxiety has taken root as a as a reaction to um, to this uh, this state of suspended happiness, this coming at the world from the vantage point of that imagined me. Now that's a, a profound drama that we enter and leave hundreds of times a day. It's a very strong habit. And the Buddha suggested that we really study that. As Dogen Zenji put it, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. But a strange thing happens when you study the self. He goes on to say, 
to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. You don't even have to forget it. It forgets itself. <laughs> but I'll, I'll explain that a little more. To forget the self then is to be awakened by, by all things. So tonight we... So what happened... Did, I'm curious, you don't have to answer this out loud, but I'm curious what happened when instead of being caught in that little space of waiting for the bell to ring, you instead noticed the state of waiting. And maybe you noticed it as you felt it in the body. Maybe you felt that sense of waiting, what that's like. So at that point that there was a feeling of waiting, any of you notice that state of waiting? Actually, the feeling of it? Once you make a shift from being just carried along by that, that, little, that little state of, of waiting, carried along by it, caught in it, to noticing it, this state that could be this state of wanting, it's a kind of craving, which could be called an unwholesome state because it causes suffering. State of waiting, even though it may be associated with something pleasant, the underlying feeling is, I'm not happy now. And every time you practice it during the day, you're practicing, I'm unhappy now. All in pursuit of being happy. Isn't it amazing? The very thing that we habitually practice in order to become happy is we practice unhappiness. The unhappiness of this state of, of suspended happiness. The unhappiness of the view of reality that I can't be happy now. Can't find relief now. So once you wake up and you oh, I'm in this state of waiting. I've been, I'm feeling that I want the bell to ring. And you and mindful attention rises. That quality is called a mental factor. It's the factor of mind, an aspect of awareness that knows in real time, clearly comprehends exactly what's happening. So you're no longer just carried in something. It's no longer ambiguous at all. You know that, you're wa that there's a waiting. Once that mindful attention rises up to notice that feeling, and I, I highly recommend that you start checking it out in your daily life. Just ask the question, am I, am I in any way postponing being well? And I, another question I often apply to kind of check myself is, is anything missing right now? Do I need anything? Or do I imagine that I need anything? So that will at least get me, get me a little bit more sensitive to whether there's any way that I'm holding myself hostage in a way. Maybe that's an extreme word, but holding myself hostage to something that hasn't happened yet. You know, it, it's, it's, of course this is really understandable. I have a friend who has prostate cancer right now whose each day there's something else he's waiting for to, to find out the treatment 
trying to figure out the treatment, whether it's spread, whether it's, whether it's uh, just one thing or another. And it's, so it's quite natural to experience some kind of anticipatory anxiety. But if you know that you're experiencing that, mindfulness rises up to clearly comprehend it. There's something about the power of mindful attention that just, even though we're not talking on this level, when it's something you're experiencing that's really happy and pleasurable, it, en- it enhances it. But when you're experiencing something that's, uh, that's even underlyingly unpleasant, it loosens it, it weakens it. So once you wake up to noticing, I'm waiting, I'm, I've got, I'm holding my breath, I'm s- in the intelligence that comes with mindfulness, becomes an almost instantaneous cause for us to relax, to let go. And it's interesting how that feeling of waiting, if you notice it, it can't last, it can't, stand, it can't withstand the attention. It just starts to show itself as just a, uh, another imaginary little, it the, bursts the whole bubble of the, that identity drama that's, that needs the bell to ring to be happy. Waiting comes, waiting goes. And before the bell even rings, you've found yourself relieved. Why? Not because the bell rang or the bell didn't ring, because there was mindful attention that rose up to, to just clearly comprehend what's happening. So you could just wander, just hours confused in a, in a narrative, weeks, years. But the moment you notice that, you're, that you've, your mind is creating an imagined universe, that's by, it's bent by its nature to create a substitute world of one of conflict, our thinking mind. When you notice it, what happens to that whole drama? You can't even find it most of the dramas that when there's mindfulness, we can't, it's just gone. And that person, that person who got created in your fantasy, in your fantasy of a future that'll make you happier, that person that was created in that, that person's also gone at that moment. And when I say that, I don't mean you're gone. You are here back with the potential of tasting, touching, the sublime, the melting away of that idea of yourself into the ocean of experience, into just being here. So just try this on for a moment. Just feeling, you know, we... I, we, talk, we started tonight with the experience of your body. And the body is very, the, the story that goes along with the body is it's my body. And, there's a, and it's what's happening with my body, it's my body. But then you, as you feel the idea of the body melt away and you just feel sensation. Well, one, you don't even feel a body, you just feel sensation. But if you try just suspending, not just the idea of of body, but suspend the idea of my body. Do 
just let the idea of me and mine melt away for a minute. And in some cases, it just becomes a little less problematic when it doesn't, when it's, there's not this added sense of ownership to it. My feelings, my thoughts, my, me, my mind, that's all, this sense of ownership is all, in some ways, imaginary. It's also an agreed-upon concept that we have in our world. So it's natural, you know, it's, it's innocent. It's something everybody shares. But it has no ultimate truth. And it mostly keeps us in a state of conflict, fearing of, of losing mine, fearing of that it'll vanish. So the identity is, always, is often bound up in fear. So one of the ways that, that um, so when, the, when Zen Master Dogen said to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. So what happens to the self when you're really present, when there's real presence, when there's mindful attention to just what's happening? to just feeling yourself sitting here. Just moments suspending the story of somebody who's come from the past on the way to the future. Just being mindful, kindful, heartful, present. So at first, this may seem a little too vague, this sense of present. It doesn't seem to have, it seems so amorphous. We're so used to the, this little version of ourselves that seems to be more reliable than this kind of mysterious, undefinable thing called aware presence or Buddha nature or free. It seems, what do I do with that? And so as a, as a yogi, we, we start to understand that, that if I live in, that, in, my, in my story about myself, I, it's a recipe for a lot of anxiety. And what will help me to both get used to, orient myself, to the simple reality where the, the self that I imagine myself to be melts away and all the stress that goes with it. In order for me to get used to that, in order for me to diffuse the momentum of this, this uh, fabricating tendency of mind to keep making a me that's in conflict, Anybody relate to that when I say that? The making of me that's... In order to get used to undoing that or stepping out of it 
and finding some place of balance, some place of refuge, what the last place that we tend to look and the, the, a real doorway to liberation, freedom from, that, from so much confusion, so much waiting, so much hoping, the place that we forget to look is in what the Buddha called this fathom-long body. Using as a support to being simply present, we put our mind in our body. We feel ourselves here. We put our body in our mind. We let our awareness fully receive the experience of the sitting body or just whatever position our body's in. Something about that process of putting our attention in the same location as our body. Not, again, not just not the idea of the body, but the felt experience of it. Somehow gives a gives a an anchor, creates a a feeling of not initially. Sometimes, sometimes it's what as we feel the body, we feel what hasn't been felt, what has been left unattended to because we've been so lost in our ideas. We feel the tension of waiting. For example, waiting for the bell to ring, waiting for the weekend. The first thing you feel is tension. But if attention is brought to that tension, attention is brought to whatever is felt in the body, whatever residue from our life, that residue, even the unpleasant stuff, becomes a cause and condition for a letting go, for a softening, an easing, a ple- as the Buddha described it, as a, a pleasant dwelling in this very life. Not a pleasant dwelling that is the effect of getting somewhere, of waiting for something, of hoping for something. A pleasantness that doesn't even happen in time. The pleasantness of the falling away of the desire to get anywhere. Try it on for a moment. What happens to your mind and your body when you, just for a minute, stop wanting to get somewhere? Even trying to get the sound to stop or trying to get me to finish talking, let it all drop for a moment. Or even if you want that sound to stop or want me to stop talking, feel that wanting. Feel how much you want to go home, if, if that's what's happening. Feel what that's like right here. Oh, this is what wanting to go home is like. What happens to that feeling when the attention is placed on the felt sense of it? So much of our anxiety arises from being as 
it's often described be, being disembodied. Basically living in virtual reality. And this felt reality, this body-centered doorway to awakening toward the ending of the whole imagined me, to, to study the Buddha dharmas, to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by everything. Whatever's entering your senses, it's a split second away. It's a split second away. And yet we can just, as the, the Buddha described, we can wander a long time confused. That's why when he, when he woke up, I don't know how many of you know the song of the, the Buddha, after he was trying to find that reliable refuge and, and uh, saw his mind go here, go there, try this, try that. You know, it's funny, when he, when he tried to do the ascetic thing and transcend his body, all he did was get sick and tired. So, so you know right away that the body was really an important part. He remembered feeling well-fed and comfortable. So we have, to, we have to inhabit our bodies and find, even though there is limitation, obviously there's so much challenge in being embodied, but it is, it is the doorway to the comfort, the letting go of that tendency to try to get somewhere else, that makes our body really uncomfortable. So our the mind going here and there, our body frozen, so the Buddha finally just, after paying attention to all the, the leaping forward that his mind was doing and all the doubts and all the fears, and he saw how empty they were, that that, that story that, of myself that plays in the mind, he saw that it was just an imaginary, it was, not, it was not himself. There was no me, no mine in that thought. It was just, it was a distorted, second-hand per, version of him that was in conflict. When he saw that, something in him let go. And when he let go of that idea of himself, his, his mind relaxed and opened. And the first utterance that he made, the first song that he shared, that he, that is said to, he has said to have said, he said, oh, through many lives. And I think of a life as every one of those little journeys we go on in our mind to the imagined future. Through many births in the wandering on, I ran seeking but not finding the maker of this house. That house of self that gets built again and again, day in and day out. Through many bursts in the wandering on, I ran seeking but not finding the maker of this house. Oh, birth again and again is dukkha. Dukkha. Suffering. But uh, house you've been seen you shall not build another house again. Your rafters are broken. I've seen the defilements. The ridge pole has been destroyed. 
ignorance, confusion. My mind gone to the unconditioned, to a well-being that doesn't depend on waiting. My my mind gone to the unconditioned, to cravings, craving for more, craving for what's next, aversion to what is. It's come to the cessation of that, that, that tormenting habit of mind. So, what do we do? We just notice. We try to notice. We try to notice all the ways that our mind keeps creating a future that never arrives. A conflict that has to be solved. We notice that and use that as a reminder to come back to this, as Hafez says to the, let's see if I still, if I have it with me. Come back to the most insignificant movements of my own holy body. You know, I think I shared last week, which I often do, he says, learn to recognize the counterfeit coins, that imaginary version. Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. Keep squeezing drops of the sun. Wake up to the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Come back to your body. So the next time you're feeling in any way distressed about anything, just check it out. What's the state of my body right now? You may not, may not be obvious what the mood is, what the mental state, but once you put your mind in the same location as your body, There is a stilling that almost immediately begins, no matter how uncomfortable you've been. And if nothing more, you have just burst the bubble. You've you've deflated that fabrication of the imagined experience of your life, and you're back in touch with a more basic, real experience of your life, which is never as complicated, never as painful as the imagined version of ourselves. So, mindfulness directed to the body. The Buddha said, if there's one thing that leads to calm, to focus, to a pleasant dwelling in this very life, to liberation, it's mindfulness directed to the body. So this week, just mind in the body, mind in the body, body in the mind, that's it. That's all you have to do, and then check in next week. Anyway, thank you for staying, and uh, thanks for your generosity. And thanks for holding Frank Fredericks in your heart with all your love and uh, all your healing powers and just the, mostly the holding his heart. In, uh... Oh, and there's going to be a, a big card brought for Frank next week or in the next few weeks to, um, to write a note to him. But hold him in your heart in the meantime and thanks for your presence here. Thanks for listening to my stray thoughts. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.